if you have had the misfortune of reading some of the stuff that I have already posted, you are in for a day. Just <laughs> oh, praise God. I got a testimony. I got home last night and uh, checked to see what was going on and uh, had a message from a backslidden preacher's son living in the area. And he posted at 8.46 last night. Said, you don't know me, but... uh, And he described the situation going on in his life, and he said, and I'm lost. Will you meet with me? Let me check my schedule. Right. I said, you name the day and we'll be together. So next Wednesday night, hallelujah. Now, I demonstrated my selfishness. I didn't pass that along to anybody else. I'm doing that one. Me, I'm doing that. (laughs) Hallelujah. I looked at the time on that post and I thought, he wrote that. He wasn't watching. That wasn't because he was watching. He wrote that post just as we were starting the shout. Right at that time. Praise God. And if you, a bunch of you have started checking this, and so you know this yourself. Uh, we are in our last thousand countdown to hit 50,000 likes on Apostolic Iron. And according to the, the uh, Facebook analytics that are not they're always 36 to 48 hours behind. And I guess I understand that. But anyway, according to that, we still do not have 7,000 likes within the United States. So that, <laughs> so that means 53,000 uh, is from other countries. Facebook breaks it down according to the countries, the number of likes. I like that better than fans. Uh, that in, Facebook is changing from using fans to likes. But uh, they break it down according to country. Then they break it down according to cities. And uh, they list the top 45 cities in the world that you have likes in. Would it shock you to know there's only one U.S. city on the list? <laughs> Forty-four of the 45 cities are outside of the U.S. And because this is being streamed, I will not name the cities. But suffice it to say, you might be, you might be shocked because I'm in a state of shock over which st- cities Uh, I will tell you one. 
the uh, number one city right now is Cairo, Egypt. With 1,500 likes. And if you'll just think in that general vicinity, um, and if you get a globe out, you just happen to look at the capital cities of that area for informational sake. Can you interpolate from there? Okay. It's, it's blowing my mind. Um, so, uh, Brother Adam... Unless you see angels walking up and down these aisles with your own eyes, when that hits 50,000, you stop me because we're going to worship God. Hallelujah. I, I, I cannot tell you how <laughs> much I feel tricked into this <laughs> uh, I'm not kidding <laughs> this is not he didn't he didn't say any of this to me I I just was feeling the need to talk to the church these other people just uh, got in the way <laughs> and they're not just in the way now they are the way of course I just couldn't help myself so uh, if you get around to reading the post I did put on for the church today <clears throat> you will recognize the tone from this meeting ooh lord but I didn't write that this morning, I wrote that a couple of weeks ago, and at that point, I was concerned that it was too strong. And after the flow of the Spirit this week, I'm thinking, nah, that's not, that's not too strong. <laughs> In fact, I had to bump it up a, a notch in just a couple of places just to try to get in the flow of what God is doing here. And, uh, I don't know who my usher is, but I am desperately in need of my soda. Okay. You need to go see my wife for that. I, uh, I Someone shared this with me about 15 years ago, that uh, if you would drink uh, a soda... Not water, but a soda with <clears throat> that that's citrus citrus based. The citric acid would cut the phlegm on your vocal cords and uh, minimize your hoarseness. Now, after yelling my head off last night, that there's not enough soda to drink to fix that. <laughs> but it does help uh, that. Trust in the Lord. So right now, I, I, and I can feel it. I can feel the phlegm there. Just, and that's, that for me, that's what causes my hoarseness. This area is 
one of the worst places in the world for sinuses. And if you're if you've never been in the area before and you're wondering, man, I, I've gotten sick. No, you're not sick. It's sinus. I mean, this is it's it's just I don't know what it is. It may be all that stuff coming out of that city west of here. It's just we're allergic to, so it's just D.C. Yeah. The U.S. Capitol building is 30, about 30 miles, 30, 32 miles from this parking lot. Due east. The west, west. Excuse me. Thank you very much. And uh, since I'm sharing advice others have shared with me, Brother Morel Cornwell is a very good friend, and we have known each other and worked a lot together for many years. It's probably been 10, 15 years ago that he lost his voice completely, and the doctor forbid him to even utter a sound for over six months. And the doctor told him he needed to be sipping room temperature liquid while he spoke, not cold. Cold is too much of a shock on your vocal cords. It may quench your thirst, but it actually helps to accelerate hoarseness. Another thing I found that helps me is uh, drinking hot tea. If you know me, I am very anti-coffee. And I'd preach it sin, except my wife drinks it. And as spiritual as she is, I guess if, it, if she can drink it and be spiritual, then I guess it's okay. But I can tell you the last time I drank coffee. It was Wednesday of the last week of June 1974. That was our first year as a district, and we had our own camp. And uh, I was asked, believe it or not, to lead the choir. And uh, we started on Monday night, and by Wednesday, I couldn't talk, and I was the one, primary one, teaching the parts. And so the uh, camp speaker said, Brother Wright, I'll tell you how to fix that. And I, I said, anything, I'll try anything. He said, just drink you a cup of hot coffee and you'll be able to talk in no time. So I did. In fact, I thought if one was good, two would be better because I was bad off. I could, I could barely squeak. And the indigestion I got lasted two days. And there had, if I could stop the smell of it from passing my nose, I would, but I can't. But it's never passed my lips again because coffee and I do not do whatever. But I have learned that hot tea in the mornings, not while you're speaking, in the mornings especially, uh, that really helps my voice. So if if you have problems with your throat, uh, you say, boy, you sound in bad shape. This is Friday. <laughs> yeah. 
and the abuse that my voice has taken since Tuesday night is significant. So I'm doing really good. This is my favorite day. We did uh, manifest meetings from February of 97. We tried to do it after the building collapsed in February of 03, but it wasn't the same because all those years people would come here and stay in the building. We had rooms over there, and we we had showers. We had a shower facility, and uh, uh, plus we had also when the crowds got big enough, we bought a semi trailer and converted it into showers and bathrooms that we could hook up to the building and uh, make sure everybody had plenty of that. And we fasted all week, so it was not a problem with feeding people. If you came to that meeting, you came and fasted and stayed in the building, or you were not invited to the meeting. He said that was a small crowd, but a big God. It was amazing. And uh, But once we couldn't do it in the building because of losing that building, and then we didn't have use of this building at all for about... Uh, nine months uh, because while this building stood it had to be gutted all the sheet rock was uh, they took 80 tons of snow off this roof to save this building two cranes out here and eight workers big buckets they would shovel the snow off the roof and into the bucket to take it off to try to keep this building from collapsing also and it had it had deflected and when they got the snow off, it came back in place, and the engineers certified it safe enough to um, to save. Uh, that's what these little, you see the little braces sticking out the side of the beams? All those beams had twisted. Uh, and so they just, the engineer required us to put those braces on there to try to keep the twist out. But all of the sheetrock had to be taken out of the building. All the insulation was destroyed. All the the ceiling, everything. So this building, just the renovation of this building, cost the insurance company $250,000. And it was what was left. Uh, So while all that was being done, we were out in other places. Uh, So it just became difficult to continue call to war and we knew from the not call to war but um, the manifest meetings and we knew from the beginning that it wasn't intended to be uh, an eternal meeting we knew that there would be a season and it'd be time to move on to something else and so Since I am first and foremost a teacher, in my mind at least, whatever else, that's God's problem. But uh, um, my burden and passion for communicating the word in a teaching environment was uh, so great that I felt like he led us to do seminars. You ever been in a seminar like this in your life? (laughs) Shh, don't tell anybody. Just let them keep thinking it's a seminar. (laughs) 
<laughs> Hallelujah. But uh, this is my favorite day in all those manifest meetings and in every, every uh, seminar we've had and every kind of meeting like this that I've ever participated in. The last day is the best day. Those that couldn't make the meeting the absolute priority that were already leaving before the meeting got started because they planned to go. And legitimately, I mean, some of the best friends I got in the world have left. Okay, so I'm not being critical. That's not my point. But there's something about knowing you have to go that keeps you from just going all the way with it, you know, here to the last amen. And because of that, and because of the fact you're exhausted, tell you right now, this I wasn't joking about this the other day. This is literally true. I've seen this so many times, over and over. We had four manifest meetings in this building a year from 1997 up to and through 2002. Four a year in this building. And we never advertised one of them. We let the Spirit of the Lord lead whoever was coming. By word of mouth, people say, well, what do you have to do to get an invitation? If Jesus sends you, come on. It was all word of mouth. And it wasn't because it was a secret meeting. It was just we were trusting God to lead the people here who were ready for it when they came. That's the way the Lord did it. And, uh, you know, so most of the time we'd have 100, 125, maybe 150 people here. But they were desperate for God. And one thing I have learned, and this also was not verbiage or for the purpose of manipulation. Brother Willoughby, the last time I was with Brother Willoughby, invited me to come and do a quote-unquote manifest meeting in Singapore in March of 2011. And... uh, he said, I, I, I want you to be in charge of it. I'll be here, but whatever. And he was in every session. Brother Willoughby was literally physically in every session and participated in many of them. And Tabernacle Joyce got all that on video. And you can see Brother Willoughby involved. And uh, there were uh, several other men of God there that participated in the meeting, but he wanted me to have the under his covering, because that's the only way I would do it, I had the responsibility of leading the meeting. We had never done a call to war. That meeting was actually called technically a manifest meeting. The Singapore church and people had sponsored uh, missionaries and leadership from uh, 17 different nations of Asia to come to that meeting. And uh, that was actually the first call to war. 
that was that was the subject that God gave everybody that spoke because we never talked to each other, uh, discussed what we were going to speak. We just started talking about warfare. And the next guy talked about it, and the next guy talked about it, and we did that uh, for three nights and two days. And the Lord spoke to me, and I talked to Brother Willoughby. He said, let's do it. And we planned that the last two days of that week, full days, would be spiritual warfare. Uh, Mark, it was at least nine, ten hours a day, both those days, wasn't it? At least. You imagine this now? The intensity you felt like last night, we were a part of nine plus hours a day, two full days. And because we would bring, uh, the Lord would say which nation or nations or area we're praying for next. And then everybody in the building from that area that was either born there or was ministering there, we would ask them to come down front. And then they would be charged with, with leading us in warfare and intercession for their nation. And uh, the Lord would, would lead me, and, and we would just pray. And we waited on the angels for their nation to show up. And you can think what you want to about that. But I promise you right now, you could feel them arriving. And the, <laughs> and when they, when the ones got there that were supposed to be there, the command was given to war. And just like last night, in a moment's time, the spirit of intercession would come in that place and the whole building would vibrate like that. And it would go five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, depending on how long the Lord went. And, and, and then there would be a command to shout. And, and then after every one of those seasons, we spent time in rest and refreshing tongues. And there was not one time they weren't ready to go again after they got refreshed. And we did that for nine full hours, two days in a row. We had, we had, there was at least, well, there was more than 17 separate battles of warfare because we prayed for some other things, which I will not speak of streaming live. But if you use your imagination or let the Spirit kind of nudge you a little bit, you'll figure out some of the other things we prayed for, other spirits we prayed for, other than just specific nations. I, I, I've got to be honest with you. I, up to that point in my life, was the most apostolic thing I'd ever had a chance to participate in. I, you take this however you want to, but if the book of Acts was better than that, you know, wow. And and I came home from that, and I I was at a nineteen hour flight home, nonstop. They don't even fly that that flight anymore, but at the time Singapore Airlines did a nonstop nineteen hour flight. No, that's not true. 
That was the first time we flew A and A. I think it wasn't it, David. A and A. That's right. And uh, a couple. Of, that was the same week of the of the Japanese earthquake. And uh, the guys from here, myself, my sons, brother Shelton, we flew in earlier in the week before because I have to have a couple of days to rest when I make that kind of time change because otherwise the fatigue alone hinders the sensitivity trying to lead the meeting. So we got in early and then I was with the Singapore church on the weekend and the boys preached and um, we we were getting ready for all that. But there were a couple of guys coming in on Monday and they got stuck in Tokyo, because all the airports were shut down. Okay? (laughs) That was wild. But I asked myself, I asked the Lord in that long flight home, what allowed that meeting to be that powerful? And I don't know if he spoke to me or just put the knowledge in my spirit But all of a sudden, I realized what it was. That was the highest percentage of hungry people in a group I've ever participated in leading in my entire life. Not not even any manifest meeting ever had that high a percentage of people. Even with not advertising the meeting, we'd had we had curious people, people that were uh, that came out of curiosity. Thankfully, they usually left before the week was over. They got hungry, and that wasn't good enough for them, so they left. It would uh, that would help. That's why by the time we got to Friday, the hunger built, and not just because we'd been fasting all week. But I came home, and we got home, and uh, the pastor on Sunday night. The first Sunday night home made the mistake of asking me if I'd like to say something. And four hours later, literally, not because I was speaking, people were still on their face all over this building. There was less than 10% of this crowd had left. And this is what God gave me. I said, I have preached in this church and reached for unity for, at that time, would have been 41 years. No, 40 and a half, because it would have been 41 years that September. And this was March. But from this night forward, the ministry of this church is going to preach division. Because from this night forward, We're dividing in our ministry focus the hungry and the not hungry. And that's the first time I'd ever made the statement. From this night forward, we will love everybody. We're going to treat everybody good. We'll be kind to all of you. But we're not trying, we're not going to try to lead anybody anymore that's not hungry. When I said that, (laughs) the hungry people of this church went nuts. They took it over. 
And I dismissed all those that didn't want to be a part. But they stuck around. Can you believe that? And watched. And the longer the hungry prayed, and the more the non-hungry stuck around, they began to decide they were missing out on something. So they started praying without any effort to make that happen. What would you put on the screen? I didn't see it. It flashed. What was that number? I'm sorry. You're talking about not live, but after the fact, right? Yeah, that's not counting all the people that's been watching live. So, and that's not for each service. That's the total number of people that have signed on and watched at least one of the sessions of Call to War. 10,000. That number's going to go up considerably because there are uh, pastors that have let me know that they plan on taking the archive and showing them one one uh, night at a time till their church can get through that. But anyway, so uh, I, I, you know how when God shows you something, you're excited to know what he has to say. But it, it's re- really also hard because now you're thinking about all the stuff that you tried to do that you wouldn't have done it like that if you had just known that. I spent so many years trying to pastor the crowd. Trying to challenge the crowd. Trying to get the tra- crowd committed. Jesus never did that with the crowd. He only ministered to call the hungry out of the crowd. And then he only preached commitment to the hungry. He preached good news to the crowd. And sent them home. Everybody that would go home, he sent them home. But the hungry stayed around. And that's where he preached commitment. It is impossible to overstate the significance of the effect of the degree of the hunger of the people that you're ministering to, that that has on the effectiveness of the ministry. You say, I don't agree with that. Then why was it that the Lord Jesus Christ himself could work no miracles in Nazareth? It didn't say he didn't work any. It says he could work no miracles. Miracles. 
their lack of hunger shut his ministry down. Now let me tell you something. If his, if their lack of hunger did that to his ministry, I've stopped beating myself up over that. I'll travel, I'll travel halfway around the world at my own expense to speak to 10 hungry people, but have turned down opportunities to speak to thousands where I knew their expectation was only going to be to be entertained according to a Pentecostal cultural style of delivery. And that's not me, and I don't do that, and I'm not going to waste my time being somebody's notchet in a gun. You know what? You, you, I don't know why I'm doing this right now. Honestly, I don't. I got some really good stuff to talk about right here. But somebody needs to hear this. Was it, and I'm saying this like this for obvious reasons. We had, we had a man of God minister here a couple of years ago. Great man of God. Been powerfully used. Very well known. And uh, he was reading everything. Well, I've known him a long time. And uh, I wish this conversation wasn't accurate. I wish I was making it up. With everything in me, I wish this was fantasy. Because of the relationship that we have, the Lord has used him to prophesy to me. But the Lord's also used me to speak to him. And I was sitting in the car with him. Outside the hotel, he was about to get out. And I said, I'd like for you to explain something to me. You're one of the most sensitive people to the Spirit I know. You've been mightily used of God all over this world. You've seen countless thousands of people receive the Holy Ghost. What in the world are you doing getting up there reading that verbiage. Why won't you just trust God and let him minister through you? You know his word was? He said, now, Brother Wright, you've got a church, and you have a steady income. And the places I go, they expect certain things out of me. And I can't take the risk that I'm going to say something that will cause me not, them not to invite me back because I got to support my family. Honestly, I wish I could have told, could tell you I, I kept my mouth shut. I really, really, because it didn't do any good. It only offended him because he didn't want to hear it. Because I said to him, 
then you ought to go take a church somewhere because this is making you a hypocrite and a performer. And if people can't trust that you can speak from God, speak the word of God to them, then why should they trust you when you speak a word from God to them? Why should I trust your prophecy when you can't even trust God enough to give a message to this church? So, my friend, you just keep going on entertaining the crowd for money's sake. Because that's exactly what you're doing. You're selling you, God, and your ministry out for the dollar. I am not a prostitute. I will not preach for pay. (laughs) I don't know why I'm saying this now. I don't know if I'm talking to one of you. I don't know if I'm talking to somebody that's listening online or is going to watch this. Have at it. I got notes, and I'm a writer, and I certainly have the capability of reading dramatically the stuff I have written. And I don't even have to practice to do it. And if you write your stuff out and read it, I don't know it, and I'm not trying to give you a hard time. But that's only been in the last decade or two. That's even been started, and it it only started with a few. And they were so good, most people didn't know they were reading it. But nowadays, average Joe Blow preacher, he can't get up and preach without writing something else. It's got two or three adjectives on every noun. This is 10 million miles for where I want to be today. But you hear me right now. Do you know what? Do you know, do you know how, how much the, the deception of the devil is working on us, causing us to trust intellectualism over the Holy Ghost? Hear me. Here's the problem with that. You do not write like you speak. And the mind is not program to easily follow and understand written language read. So the amount of of receiving that takes place when a guy gets up and reads what he's written. Well, I believe that's from God. I didn't say don't bring notes. Well, when you got to read every, I mean, I, I'd hate to see some of these guys' notes. They probably got little parentheses. Cause them to stand up and shout right now. You want to know why we're not seeing what I taught about yesterday? Because we've become performers, not ministers. (laughs) 
You know, you know, people, oh, don't say that. You won't get invited anywhere anymore. You don't understand. Good. If I don't get invited, I get to stay home. I don't ever go because I want to. I go because I'm sent in the will of God. And I won't go to my best friend's church and preach without direction from God to go. And if nobody wants to hear this, I like my bed. I like sitting at my computer in my sweatpants with no shoes and socks on. I love it. I would never complain doing that every day for the rest of my life. I'm sure not going to hold back from what God wants to say to make sure I get invitations. I drove in this city with $300 in the bank. And if I leave with that much, it doesn't cost me anything to be here. Didn't come here to please people. I had a job. (laughs) You talk about Abraham offering his son, giving up what he loves. And there being a ram in the thicket. You know what that is? You know what that is? That says that I am a lieutenant, a commission officer, Lieutenant J.G. retired. And have been for all of my life. And this card expires indefinitely. Okay, so because I said yes to Jesus, he could have taken it all away, but he didn't. I prayed. I graduated from the academy on the 5th of June, 68. I had two months of leave before I started flight training. I didn't announce to anybody I'm now available to preach, but I went went to, to my to the area where my mom and dad were living, all of a sudden, I get started, and people started inviting me to preach. If you think I'm long-winded now, and they still invited me back. I preached almost every weekend and most every Wednesday night for those 60 days. By the time I started flight training, and I love to fly. I absolutely love to fly. The first time you're up there by yourself, and they don't, military planes don't have this stick, this wheel. They got a stick right there. And the first time you push that stick forward and push that nose down and you begin to build up airspeed. And when the airspeed gets right, you pull back on that stick and the horizon disappears and you cock your head back looking for that horizon on that loop. The first time, I don't know if that's Holy Ghost, but I sure did love it. That, hey, roller coasters are zero zip nothing. 
You just sit there and yawn. I've never been on one. I just sit there and go, okay, that's nice. Because when you're up there by yourself, and there's no instructor in the back seat this ride, I had a check ride on my sixth flight. I soloed on my seventh flight. On my eighth flight, the instructor was in the back seat teaching me, uh, oh, I can't believe the, uh, loops and barrel rolls and aerobatics. Thank you. And on my ninth flight, I'm sent up by myself to do them. My second solo was doing loops and wing overs and, I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But by the time, by the time I'd been doing it a few weeks, there was something moving down inside here. There was something moving. It was moving, moving, moving. It was moving. And I'm thinking, I got, I got four and a half more years before I can preach full time. I got four and a half more years so before I can do this, pre- do this all the time, preach the gospel all the time. Four and a half more years. This isn't going to get it. I had a five year obligation. If you go to the Navy, Naval Academy or West Point or Air Force and uh, Coast Guard and you go, they, they, they fund your whole education. You got a five year active duty obligation when it's over with. And it was Vietnam, but I couldn't plead conscientious objector because first of all, I'm not. But second of all, it would have been unprincipled to let them, let the government pay for my education. And then after I get the education, plead conscientious objector. No. So therefore I, I, I prayed. I asked the church to pray. It was on the last Sunday of August 1968. And I said, okay, God, if this is you working in me, you got to do something. There was a move of God that night. Peace came into my heart. I didn't know what he was going to do. He was going to do something. I got married on the 1st of November. I had preached so much since graduation that I had enough preaching in over 30 times to get my local license because you have to have at least 26 times once a week for six months. I got my local license on the 14th of, of November. On the 4th of December, I woke up with a pain in my shoulder and something didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. I, I, I didn't know what was wrong. It was a Friday. And a lot of times if guys weren't ready to fly that day, they'd go to sick bay. It's what they call the infirmary or the emergency room. I don't know what you call it, but anyway, sick bay. And they didn't have a doctor there. He's a flight surgeon. That's what you, you call him. So the guys would go there and they'd have some kind of whatever. And the doctor would let them out of flying. Well, these doctors got, they get quite cynical over time because they know how that works. So I go in there. He can't see my pain. And I'm saying, doctor, I, I, I got this pain in my shoulder. And he's giving me that. Oh yeah. I looked at him. I said, listen, I love to fly, and I'm ready to go do it right now. I I have made my preparations to fly today, but my shoulder hurts. And he called my bluff. That's what he thought he was doing. He said, okay, I'll give you a couple of shots of cortisone back there where it is. I said, please do. Because this hurts really bad. So 
He kept, he prepared the needle, kept waiting for me to back out. He gave me two shots between the spinal column and the right shoulder blade. Didn't do a thing. We drove over to my, my wife's parents' house. I laid in the bed all weekend hurting as bad as I've ever hurt in my life. And I, something felt funny. It felt funny. It just felt funny. I didn't know what was wrong with it. And by Monday morning when it was time to go back to fly, my right shoulder blade was sticking out. Can you see it? I walked in to that same flight surgeon's office, and I popped that shoulder blade out, and his eyes almost came out of his head, and sweat popped out on his forehead because he thought he had done that with those shots. He thought he hit a nerve. If I'd have been ornery, I'd have let him sweat a while. <laughs> but I wasn't. Because the pain had let all up, and I didn't know why. Because the nerve was dead. The nerve that controls the muscles that control the right shoulder blade were dead. And I said, uh, sir, please understand you didn't do this. I was already feeling this something funny there before the shots. The shots didn't have anything to do with it. you never seen a person breathe a sigh of relief in their, your life like that. So he sent me down to, to, to the hospital in Pensacola. They did some tests. They said, you got a right wing scapula. The right shoulder blade's paralyzed. They kept me on limited duty for a year to see if the nerves are going to regenerate. During that time... <laughs> They put you in little busy jobs because they're not going to give you all that time off. So I would, uh, I'd go to the, uh, I was assigned to the legal office to do investigative work. Can you imagine investigating accidents that military personnel were, or their dependents were involved in to see if the Navy could file a claim against the insurance company and get their money back for all the hospital and all that stuff. Right. And, uh, because guys would come in there for a week or two. It didn't take but about a month that I was a guy in charge. And I had physical therapy every day. Every morning about 10, I'd have to go to the, to the Navy hospital and they'd hook me up to uh, these electrodes and exercise the muscles artificially to try to keep them from atrophying while they waited on the nerve to regenerate itself. Praise God. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So I'd go in in the morning. And they would, they'd do their therapy and then I'd go home. 
And the, uh, the JAG officers, the lawyers, they like me. And so if somebody would invite me to go preach a revival, they just let me go off for a week or so to preach. Wouldn't even charge against my leave time. And I preached so much during that year, I was on limited duty. I was able to qualify one year to the day to get my local license, my general license. And uh, the 1st of December, I met a medical board, and they decided that... Uh, <laughs> They decided that this wasn't going to regenerate, or at least it didn't look like it. So they decided to, uh, they had to decide whether or not they were going to discharge me or medically retire me. And here's what it came down to. If, since I'm right-handed, uh, if it would have been my left shoulder, I would have been 20% disabled and you have to be at least 30% disabled to be retired and keep your commission. I would have had to resign my commission. I would have gotten no money from the, the Navy. But because I'm right-handed, and that made it 30% disability, they, re they retired me. Now, what's the odds of that? If you don't believe this is true, I'm not saying you're doubting me, but if you, if you want to go check on this, the, the purpose of the shoulder blow, blade is the muscles hold the shoulder blade against the rib cage to give you leverage to get your upper arm away from your rib cage. It's the only way you can extend your, your arms out or above your head. For 10 years, that's, that's all I could do. When I raised my hands, that's all I could do. I was in church one night. God was moving. All of a sudden, I realized. I thought... Both, both of my hands are up, and my right arm is up as high as my left one will go. And I went to the doctor and showed him. He just shook his head. He said, sir, I, I can't explain to you how you do that. That's physiologically impossible. That, that... You want to see a miracle? Get ready. Here's a miracle. That is physiologically impossible. You know how I said, you know how I said sarcasm alert? Here's going off alert. How can I live with a miracle every day that was performed to put me into the ministry full time and accept just going through the motions having church? How can I live with that? Well, that didn't happen for me, Brother Wright. 
Oh, so you never talk in tongues? You never talk in tongues? That's a greater miracle than my arm. How can we experience the miraculous of the supernatural in our personal lives as often as we're willing to enter into the spirit and allow that to happen? How can we experience that and then settle? How? How? Let me talk to you a little bit. You say, I thought that's what you've been doing. Nah, it's just introduction. Give you a chance to wake up a little bit. As I said Monday or Tuesday night, I I was studying the 10th chapter of Luke where the 70 disciples came back and said, you know, even the devils are subject unto us unto, through thy name. And, and Jesus said, Behold, I, uh, I see Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And behold, I give you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. And I got to thinking about this. Satan falling from heaven. Well, I thought he had already fallen from heaven. I got to reading Revelation 12, where it talks about war in heaven. Let's read that, Elizabeth. That's you today, right? Okay. I'm going to tell on my granddaughter. She's going to have to get married. She's got to. She's got to get rid of her last name. She can marry anybody but somebody named Wright. Because she's left-handed. We just can't have people with the last name Wright that are left-handed. So you're ready, aren't you, to shut me up? That's, I don't mind. Revelation 12, I didn't tell you. <laughs> Revelation 12, and I'm just going to read a little bit. Revelation 12, 1. I just feel like reading a little bit. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, trailing in birth, pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and a great, behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew down the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them, did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. I wonder who that is. Right? 
And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should free, uh, feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. And the, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevail not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now, I'm going to submit this to you. Okay? I'm not talking about this as a heaven and hell issue. I'm just telling you what I see, what I feel. This uh, entire chapter is parenthetical. What does that mean? It means that most of the events didn't happen within the time frame of Revelation 6 and 1 and Revelation 19. Because we know that Christ wasn't born after the first seal was opened. That's your first clue. (laughs) It's a subtle clue. But it is a clue. Okay? And, and I got to, I got to study in this. Lord, Lord, what's the secret, what's the sequence of events? When were the angels cast out of heaven? Well, there was war in heaven. Uh, but we do know that in the book of Job, Lucifer himself, Satan, had access to the throne room. And uh, this verse still on the screen says that he specifically had some kind of access to accuse us before our God day and night. And according to this verse, there will be a point in time when he no longer has access to accuse us. And you can't take anything in this chapter in within the sequence of events of the book of Revelation. This is a parenthetical chapter that is explaining the big picture. There's a couple other chapters like that in the book of Revelation where they're big picture chapters that interrupt the flow of chronological uh, events. And they're, they're big picture. The big picture. Almost every false doctrine of salvation originates because of the violation of this principle that I'm about to tell you. 
Uh, I think I'm through there, Elizabeth. So let's go to John chapter 3, and I want to start with verse 1. And again, I need to read fast, but I, I have to read from the top for context's sake. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time when his mother's womb be born? Jesus answered, Fairly, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and again, the Greek word translated wind there is exactly the same Greek word that's also translated spirit and breath, depending on the context. The wind bloweth where it listeth, or, or desires to, thou hearest the sound, Greek word there is P-H-O-N-E, uh, which we get the word phone, but is the word voice. It's specifically the word voice, not a generic sound, but voice, the sound that the voice makes. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, some people take that verse and say, see there, you, you just have to take it by faith when you're born of the Spirit because you can't know it. And that's exactly the opposite of what this verse is saying. Uh, go back to that verse 8 for me, please. This is a metaphor. Or a parable, if you want to call it that. Metaphors and parables are synonymous, metaphor and parable is, are synonymous terms. Except the difference is sometimes a metaphor is just a, a line or an idea, whereas a parable is the expansion of that metaphor into a story revealing the principles of the metaphor. So, the wind or spirit goes and comes as he chooses. There are several evidences of a person, uh, uh, of the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. You can feel the effects of the wind. Or you can hear the wind blowing. The, the voice of the wind. He totally ignored the other two. Because feeling the spirit is not proof that you're born of the spirit. Seeing the effects of the Spirit is not proof that you're born of the Spirit. The only one of the evidences of the Spirit that God chose in this context is the voice of the Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Elizabeth, I'm really putting you through your paces today. I'm, co I'm coming back to the other one, but I'm... but I, but. I, I'm coming back to this one before the other one, and I'm going to this one before I come back to this one. You ready? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Did you get all that, babe? Uh, and for those of you that are watching, Elizabeth is my 16-year-old granddaughter. I'm not calling just anybody named Elizabeth, babe. <laughs> 
And they were all filled with the Spirit, with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, before we go to the next verse, okay? If you let people tell you that speaking in tongues is just a bunch of gibberish, or those that even some that speak with tongues call it glossolalia, and their definition, which is the, which is an anglicized version of the Greek word tongues, which is, I can't pronounce it, but it's the glossal, glossal something, whatever, and, and whatever. Glossolalia is the anglicized Greek word for tongues. Okay. If you, if you let somebody tell you that speaking in tongues is just ecstatic utterance, here's why you don't let people settle for la 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 la. The Greek word for utterance means to speak in another language at the highest levels of erudition and elocution. That means you say the words properly and you say them well. It is speaking the language at the highest level. So whatever language it is that I speak at any one moment, Maybe somebody will watch this broadcast. And tell me what I just said, because they will recognize the language perfectly. A good friend who was an evangelist of mine was preaching in Colorado years ago. And after he was preaching and all the call, he was praying in tongues. He's just praying in tongues. And there was a lady who was a guest that night, come with one of the people in church, and her friend brought her up to, to meet. Uh, the evangelist. And she said to him, where did you learn to speak Hebrew? He looked at her and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I don't speak Hebrew. She said, yes, you do. No, ma'am, I, I, I've never studied Hebrew. She said, sir, I don't know what's going on here, but a few minutes ago, you were speaking in perfect Hebrew and you were talking to me. A friend of mine who is one of the evangelists to, Japan, uh, to missionaries to Japan was, uh, I believe it was New Mexico, if I remember correctly. He was, he was deputizing, and he was in a service. And uh, he preached, and there was a 16-year-old girl on the back row that he went back and prayed for, and she received the Holy Ghost. And he said, he explained this to me when he was telling me the story personally. There's three levels of Japanese, the way I understand it from him. 
the colloquial regular Jap- or you know the slang colloquial japanese and then the, the the modern japanese that most educated people speak and then there's high classical japanese that very few people use anymore but because he was a uh, an american that had gone there as a missionary he studied studied japanese language so he recognized it and this 16 year old girl in the united states that had never been out of her her state was speaking in perfect high japanese that's somebody else's testimony now here's mine i was in rio de janeiro preacher brother franklin howard who was the 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 uh, president of the uh, upc bible school there uh years ago and uh and the, we had a move of god and there was a preacher came up to the platform and asked brother howard and i to pray for him and it wasn't really any time for discussion on who the man was, what was going on. Uh, but he had a very sad countenance and there was no real joy in his, in his heart at all. And, and so I, I, I didn't know what to pray for. So I just began to pray in tongues and, uh, all of a sudden the man starts going, finally you have healed me. Finally you have healed me. Finally you have healed me. And I, I thought to myself, man, it, this Brazilian speaks English better than anybody I've ever heard down here. And I looked over Brother Howard, and his eyes were about this big. I said, Brother Howard, what's going on here? He said, this man has never been out of the Amazon jungle. This is his first trip out of that jungle. He's never even heard anybody speaking in English till today. He was speaking perfect American English with no regional accent at all. A couple of years after that, I was in Indola, Zambia, right across the border from Lumbumbashi, Democratic Republic of Congo. Okay? And we were, I was there with Brother Ted Grossbach, who's a missionary out of this church to Africa, and we were having a Holy Ghost crusade. And there was hundreds and hundreds of people there that wanted the Holy Ghost, and I preached, and the altars filled up. And there was no way to get out. I mean, there was no space. And so I could only personally pray for the people who was right next to the platform. There was this little lady there, and, and I got one of the Zambian brethren to help me pray, and, and, and I began to pray for her. And uh, just just in a few minutes, she began to go, take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. Take me, I'm yours. And I'm thinking, I wonder where she went to school. <laughs> and I looked at my Zambian brother. His eyes were big. I said, does this lady know how to speak English? This is honestly the truth. He said, Brother Wright, this lady has never been out of her village till she came to the city to, to this morning for this crusade. She was speaking in perfect American. No offense, I'm sure God speaks in tongues to people in UK English occasionally. <laughs> but it was, it, he was letting me have my experience, okay? <clears throat> she was speaking in perfect American English without any regional accent. It was perfect. Now, 
That wasn't why I got came here. Next verse. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of under nation under heaven. Now, when this noise, this was noised abroad. The first time I noticed this, it was in the margin of my Thompson Chain Bible. And this is the way the Thompson Chain said that first phrase was supposed to be literally translated. When this voice was heard. And guess what? I went back and checked the Greek and compared that to John 3 and 8. And the Greek words for voice and hear are exactly the same. So whatever was promised in John 3 and 8 is exactly what God did in Acts 2 and 4. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, back to John 3 and 8. I remembered Elizabeth. Wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof. Canst not tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth, so is everyone born of the Spirit. Next verse. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master or a senior teacher, senior leader of Israel, and knowest not these things? Next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. Next verse. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? When it comes to any kind of scripture, talking about directly or indirectly talking about salvation, the first question you've got to ask yourself, is he speaking for man to see this from man's perspective or is he telling this from God's perspective? Here's, stay right there, I'm going to go on from that verse. Here is man's perspective. This is God telling man what to do. This is man's part, man's perspective. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Second time, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's man's perspective. He didn't believe the earthly thing. So now let's find out what the earthly thing the heavenly thing is. Verse 13. And no man had ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, or the Logos which was in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking heavenly things. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, have eternal life. Heavenly things. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Heavenly thing. Man can't obey heaven's perspective scriptures and be saved. Man has to obey the human perspective scriptures that our infinite God gives to teach us how to apply in our temporal world and to our personal lives the stuff he reveals to us about how he sees it from heaven. John 3.16 is God's perspective. That's what God did. How does man take advantage of that? He has to obey John 3.3 and John 3.5. It is not either or. They are the exact same thing. One is God explaining to you how he sees it and what he did about it. The other is him telling us what we're supposed to do about receiving what he's provided. Is there another chapter where man does that? Yes. You think I stopped talking about war in heaven and everything, didn't you? (laughs) Ready? Ephesians 2 verse 1. The entire second chapter of Ephesians is God talking about salvation, the salvation of mankind from heaven's perspective. There's not one thing in Ephesians chapter 2 that a man can understand how to apply to his life to be saved. It's all about what God has done to provide salvation. It's all about how God feels about saving man. It's all about how God feels about saved men. It's all about how God sees the lost till they get saved. Are you ready? These first three verses are talking to people that were lost but are now saved. And the Spirit of the Lord is describing heaven's perspective of the condition they were in before they were saved. So listen. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That is the condition that every lost soul is in. So we're going to, we're going to market our church and we're going to sing really good and preach our performance eloquent messages. And we're going to do all of our programs and we're going to help people in this condition get saved. What in the world is wrong with us? How did we get here? I'm not trying to be mean here, folks. 
But their salvation is on the line while we play church. This world is lost. And we have a Savior sitting on the throne with nail scars in the body that will represent the, the, be the visible representation of God for eternity. Scars in his hands. Scars in his feet. Scars in his back. Oh, it scars one more place. Isaiah 52, the last couple of verses says that his visage, his face was marred more than any man. I got a question for you. If the nails left scars in his hands, if the whip left his back looking, as the scripture describes it, like a plowed field, then what does his face look like? After soldiers beat him in the face for over an hour. Did he suddenly not get scars from that? No, Isaiah clearly tells us that if he walked in this room right now, most of us wouldn't be able to bear to look at him because his face is so disfigured. That's why there's no form nor comeliness that we would deny him. Down here, those scars are grotesque. But when we cast our crowns before the one at the feet of the one sitting on the throne, those scars will be the most beautiful thing we've ever seen in our life. Because every time we worship that one sitting on the throne, we're going to always and forever be reminded of what he did to save us. Why do you think it is that we are commanded both in the Old and New Testament to have no visible images of him? Because they're a lie. I forget the author or the artist. It might have been Michelangelo. I don't remember. But centuries ago, there was an artist that hired a beautiful young man to be his model for the painting of Jesus. And he painted Jesus to look like that beautiful young man. Decades later, he decided to paint a picture of Satan. And he went looking for somebody it would look like what he thinks Satan would look. And when he found the man and picked him and he got ready to paint him, the man looked at him and said, you don't remember who I am, do you? He said, I was your model for Jesus. But this is what sin has done to me. That's why we don't have pictures. That's why those that believe the Bible don't have pictures. We don't have pictures. They're a lie. They're a lie. Verse 1 again. Let me tell you what's happening in this place right now. 
The Lord is opening the hearts and minds and spirits of those who will allow it. And he's given you a picture of how hopeless, hopelessly lost men are without someone to help them get saved. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The Holy Ghost chose that word to describe their condition. And no dead persons ever resurrected themselves. The dead have been resurrected, but a power greater than us did the resurrecting. No saved person, lost person can save themselves. Someone with the power to do it did it. I'm coming right back there, Elizabeth. But let me tell you the verse. This is the verse. This is the verse that rattles around in my brain and spirit, conscious and subconscious. Psalm 79 and 11. She's going to put it up there for you, but I don't need it. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of thy power. Preserve thou those that are appointed to die. The lost don't even know how to ask to be saved. But God hears their sigh. The sigh of the hopeless. The sigh of the helpless. You want to know what we're doing here? You want to know why you're so tired? You want to know why we've been putting ourselves through this all week? Let choose. Make the choice. Choose to allow the sighing. It's the only prayer the lost know how to pray. The sighing of the prisoner. The hopeless, the helpless. Let it come before thee. According to the greatness of God and his power that resides in you, do something about it. Come on, we need to pray right now. I'm in the middle of a thought, in the middle of a direction, but this is what we're here for. And we need to pray right now. We need to repent. If you're watching this online live or you're watching it later archived, we need to repent for our carelessness, for our callousness, because we we only talk about the lost. We don't mean it. The same God that we are constantly asking him to fix all the stuff we don't like in our lives. He can't hardly hear those selfish prayers because his ears are so full of the sighing of the multiplied billions of hopeless, helpless people that can't save themselves.
He can't hear you. I know some that are listening to this think I'm an angry person. You're so wrong. This, my friend, isn't anger. This is passion. This is burden. This is desperation. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not selfish enough to care if anybody else goes with me. I'm not selfish enough to not care if anybody else goes with me. I want you to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. But oh, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to heaven yet. Till this world has had a much better chance than it's ever had to hear the name of Jesus, to hear that he loved them enough to die for them, to be buried and resurrected for them so that they don't have to be dead, that it can be resurrected from their spiritual death. Come on. Come on, be honest with yourself. That it's not emotion working in this room. That's the spirit of the one who hung on that cross. That's what's happening in this room. It's the, the spirit of the one who hung on that cross is manifested in this place. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, set them free so they can decide and even have a chance to be saved. Oh, preacher, I'm tired. Join the club. We got a vacation coming. We're going to get to rest in heaven for seven years while the earth gets the snot beat out of it. Give everything you got now. Vacation's coming. Quit holding back. Quit trying to control what God can do through you, when he can do it through you, how he does it through you, what he does through you. 
repent of our iniquity, trying to be in control, trying to tell God instead of letting God tell us. My, my, my. My, my, my. My, my. My, my. My. Jesus' name. Pray, pray to such a degree that Saturday won't be different than today. Pray to such an extent that you'll feel the same way on Sunday as you feel right now. Pray until God does such a work in you that next Sunday you will be the same. And the Sunday after that, and the week after that, and the month after that, and the year after that, until the Lord takes us out of here. Pray until the change is so permanent you won't forfeit it. You won't give it up for anything this world's got to offer.
I'd love to teach you more, and time is running out. But I can't stop this. I'm not going to stop this. I'm laying this mic down. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Let the Holy Ghost flow. We'll, whatever time you're through, you can take your break, and we'll start back at 12:30. But I'm begging you. Don't 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 shrug this off. I'm begging you. Don't shrug this off. Don't shrug this off. Come on. I'm making this announcement because some of you are still waiting for me to go forward. I'm, I'm not, I can't go forward. The Lord's not going to let me. I would absolutely love to teach some more. You're, you're a wonderful people to teach to. But I, I can't. I can't disobey God. I'm not going to talk this move of God away. In Jesus' name. See you at 1230.